he's like, I'm annoyed they don't know how to like get my sheets clean. And like as the girls try to clean them and like advocate for him. And she's like, he's like, she's like, what is it? He's like, oh, it's cranberry juice. Sure. You're like, mm, uh-huh. homie, uh-huh. that ain't juice. <laughs> people juice. <laughs> it is people juice. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide, Disco Citizens, the podcast where gorehounds and best friends, Terry Gamble and Julia Marchesi, break down a different horror movie each week, exploring a multitude of genres, subgenres, and sub-subgenres, classic and cult, international and underground flicks alike, determining which films are the goriest, and offering up Horror Movie Survival Guide tips to, to help, help you stay alive. Hello, Disco Citizens. Welcome to another fine episode of Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Terry, and I have the delightful Julia Marchesi. This week, we are talking about 2000's American Psycho. Title of this episode what? is... Sorry, that just ran together. 2000 once? 2000's American oh, Psycho. Oh, 2000s. I was like... <laughs> it's from the year 2000. <laughs> the year 2000! Sorry, that's a Conan O'Brien bit for the the comedy heads. He did it. He continued to do it for many moons after the year 2000, which was my favorite thing. He's predicting the future. Anyway. So the title of this episode is There Is No Me. Tagline for this movie is Killer Looks. This is based on the novel by Brett Easton Ellis and is adapted by Guinevere Turner, directed by Mary Heron. So uh, the lesbians. Yay. I'm so excited. I didn't realize. I think we both were like, which Mary directed this? I think we both forgot like when we were rewatching this, like who had directed this. And I just got really excited that it was. I thought it was Mary Lambert. I swear to God. And I'm sorry, Mary Heron. I really was like, it's Mary Lambert. And then I looked and I was like, oh my God, it's not Mary Lambert. Um, That's that we can imagine that version. Uh, Just like we can imagine. I have so much alternate universe casting and alternate universe directors for you. Give it to me. I would like you to please picture all of these people as Patrick Bateman. Uh, first, we have Ewan McGregor. Oh, yeah. I can't see it. I can't see him being that dark. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was attached. and then Absolutely. Well, that's uh, as they all say. I think Christian says this to this day. Is like they send it to Leo first. Yeah. Like, and then everyone else, we all get the crumbs. Like everyone, like they literally, any of those parts that are like that for years, it's Leo first and then all the other like, handsome, handsome men of Hollywood after. Uh, Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah. Brad Pitt. Billy Crudup. These two are kind of kind of left field. Robert Sean Leonard, which I would fucking love, but I cannot see. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller, Jared Leto yes. as as Patrick Bateman. Johnny Lee Miller would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Keanu, which I feel like could I don't think Keanu could do it. I think out of all of those, I think I would go with Johnny Lee Miller. Yep, same. I feel like he would really. I feel like he would like be able to go. But this is just, this is not to say. I think Christian Bale's performance in this movie is a hundred percent perfect. I think it's an incredible performance. So I really don't want to imagine anybody else in it because I can't imagine anyone doing it better than he did. Alternate universe directors. This would completely change this film. We have three that are out of control, insane, trying to imagine this. David Cronenberg. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> if you thought this movie went hard, how much harder would it go with David Cronenberg oh, or no. Oliver Stone or Stuart Gordon? <gasps> Fucking Stuart Gordon. That would be okay. the version. I, I want really to go jump that in that timeline somehow in that world that it's Stuart Gordon who directed it and see what the fuck he did with it. Because I'm sure that would be fucking amazing. But I'm so glad it ended up the way it is because, <clears throat> excuse me. 
this is one of those movies that like I feel like a lot of women, it's like their comfort, like like slasher. You know what I mean? Though for some reason, I think that like, and I wondered why. And then watching it again, I was like, oh, with like, you know, in mind for knowing that we were gonna review it on the show. I was like, oh my God, this is definitely I'm so glad it's directed by a woman because I can feel that and how they're interacting with these men, these like interchangeable New York shitty men mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie. Um, it's beautiful. And it made me love it again, all over again. So well, good. Well, you know, if you listen to our show, that our, Terry and I's downfall are the cute boy killers, right? And this movie, because, you know, there's so much nudity and there's so much uh, Christian Bale in his underwear in this movie. And I think it makes sense because you you can't stop looking at him. He's so incredibly beautiful. And I feel like it would be so hard to turn him down. because not Literally only disarming. Disarming looks. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, I mean, the the body is, is bananas, but then he's got that little boy smile that you'd be like, oh, he's he's broken, but he's fine. And you're like, no, he's not. Like every all. girl sees him, they're like, I want to fix him a little bit. Like he just needs my love. Like, do you know what exactly. I mean? Though, like he's he's just missing me. Um, is what you think, right? You don't realize that he's a full on like sociopath, but right. um, but so beautifully packaged. So it's just so easy. Right. It's so hard. Oh. So hard to turn. Like you have, you know, you look at him and then you look at like maniac, right? Like, and you're like, these are the kind of different, different. Into worlds. both of them, though. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Spinell can get it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, but Christian Bale, I also got to meet around this era, which is just bonkers because I went to UCLA and around the same time, his sister Louise also was at UCLA too, and so he came to graduation. So I got to meet him. Like this era, Christian Bale, I got to meet. <laughs> Like in uh, person, like I, I like, I like. We both have Christian Bale stories because I saw him. Uh, I was at uh, Disneyland with my friends, and my friend decided to go get a churro while we were waiting in line for the haunted mansion. But then the haunted mansion mine went so fast that we actually just went in. And so as we were walking out of the haunted mansion, Christian Bale and his family were walking right past us, and we were both like, "Oh my god!" And then my friend came over with her churro, and they were like, "We just missed Christian Bale," and she was like, "This fucking churro! It ruined it. I would have met Christian Bale. I would have seen him if it wasn't for." It's true. Um, so I don't know if you all know, but uh, aside from Stephen King, Brady Snellis is actually one of my very favorite authors. Uh, he's in my top five, and I um, love that he has, uh, like Stephen King, a multiverse in his in his writing. So a lot of his characters cross over into other books. So uh, the Rules of Attraction was the book that really got me into Brady oh, Snellis, yeah. and uh, Sean Bateman is one of the main characters in that book. So he is Patrick's brother. So they do have like one scene together in Rules of Attraction, and but then it goes over to American Psycho. So American Psycho is one of the hardest books I've ever read. It was, I had to put it down several times, which is saying a lot for me. Wow. Considering um, you read because, Gerald's Game when you were 12. So <laughs> exactly. This is, you know, I'm, I've been a sicko forever. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is you have this character who describes everything he does in such tremendous detail, right? What music he listening to, what food he's eating, what clothes he's wearing. And so he describes the murders with that much detail. So it's so it's so it fits the character, but it's so fucking horrible because you describing these these terrible things. And there's murders that don't make it into the movie that are unspeakable that still haunt me to this day when I think about this book. Is it and like I, terrifiers I, like that? That kind of like just yes, viciousness? Add, add animals into there like as part of the oh, death. I'm good. No, no, no. I'm good. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> I was like, try not to let my mind go there. But I also now I want to read it again. Um, OK, Um 
uh, or read it. I've never read it. Um, I wanted to know about the song choices because there's a lot of music in this movie. Mm-hmm. Were those all listed in the book or are these all? Um... He, he talks about music constantly in this. Okay. In this, And so it, it is one of those things that, and we had talked about this when, when Tara and I got to watch this together. And we're talking about, you know, he talks about how he feels nothing, right? There's nothing. There's no me. There's nothing inside. It's just this blank hollow shell. And that he's using this music to try to feel something and to try to like understand what other people feel because he feels nothing. I think that's really brilliant. Yeah, it's a device because he's like he's and it's all all like kind of like the sappiest versions of things of songs. You know what I mean? They're like that, like approximating that emotion, what he thinks that's what people want to feel. And it's like, no, dude, you're kind of just weird like about it. Like you don't understand. You're not connecting to this. You're trying to make you're trying to make fetch happen. It's not happening. Like He's trying to make something happen. Right. But, but there's a way that I pity him and kind of connect to him because I feel like it's me kind of where I'm like, OK, we're going to listen to this. Watch this movie. Now, this guy's this movie. And then like explain everything that has to go around this movie which is totally superfluous and unnecessary and I can't help myself well it's a way we mask right like it's like we know with our different like whatever we've got going on in our lives we're like trying to like approximate I don't know um we're trying to find a way to connect and this is his way to try to connect I guess right and he's failing miserably though (laughs) well you know he's he's picked a group of people that he hangs out with they all look exactly the same and they all all feel like there's nothing inside, right? They're, they're making the conversation they feel they should be having, but not necessarily engaging in any of the conversation. And it's weird that I'm so attracted to Brody Snellis's writing because all of his characters are like this. They're these very unlikable, very morally terrible people that just drift through the world and hate everything and are just blank. And I think there's this very interesting part of having these characters that are a blank canvas who don't feel anything. And so all of their actions are kind of meaningless, which I feel like is a big theme with him. So I feel like this is very similar to that. Um, And so he just is trying to be human. So he is the vice president at Pierce and Pierce. He has Chloe Sevigny as his incredibly adorable secretary. And the only, her and Willem Dafoe, I think are the only people in this movie that have any sort of humanity to them. Which is so wild because usually I feel like they're both usually cast as more sociopathic characters. Uh-huh. So I kind of love the the casting that they did in this because I feel like they're kind of going against type a little bit. And even Jared Leto as like a suit. I'm glad he wasn't Patrick Bateman because it's like he's like just I'm just like you're not a suit guy. Like you're clearly yeah. fighting it. But maybe that's why he's cast too because everyone's kind of like trying to be in these roles. That's not them. Like especially even like Carruthers and stuff like that who's clearly a flaming, flaming beautiful homosexual um, trying to be, you know, a straight man and all this stuff too. And they all seem like their lives are kind of interchangeable in some kind of way where they just feel meaningless because they're interchangeable, but also fighting each other for like the top of everything, the best business card, the best um, reservations at a restaurant, the best of everything. But it doesn't mean anything to them because once they attain it, they just want whatever they can't have and the better thing. Right. Right. They don't really want to eat at Dorcia, but the fact that you can get a reservation at Dorcia is the whole thing. So uh, Jean, you know, she seems very sweet. She's got these incredible bangs. And Patrick immediately is like, don't wear that outfit again. Wear something, wear a dress, wear high heels. That's what I like. And is already just controlling her in a way that she's she's kind of okay with because she's clearly in love with him. And that's the whole point of casting. Christian Bale is like, yes, you would be. Everyone would be. There's no way to not be in love with this guy, except for all of the guys think he's a dork and talk about continuously what a dork he is. And they don't say asshole. They say dork. I'm like, 
I don't, I don't get that. They're How all could assholes. You... But it's I know more, they're all assholes. But also being an asshole is kind of like a badge for them. That's not a bad thing. Like if you're an asshole, it's like, yeah, you're an asshole. We're all assholes. Like that's their thing. They're shitty people. And especially in this like Wall Street thing, it's like, oh, if people see you as intimidating. That's good. But if they don't see you as intimidating, if they see you as dorky, that's the real burn in this world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, his fiance, uh, Reese Witherspoon, is asking him about his job and asks why he doesn't quit. He doesn't seem to like his job. Why is he there? And he says he wants to fit in. That's why. So in a, in a very British and Ellis way, everybody is having affairs with everybody. It's all very casual. Bisexuality is gigantic in his world. And so it's just a free for all with, again, if you feel nothing, it means nothing. So everybody just sleeps with everybody and nobody cares. Well, hedonistic, but also while he's like in the midst of these, like the throes of any type of, you know, copulation, he's looking at himself in a mirror or like trying to watch himself more than anything. He doesn't give, even give a shit about anyone else around him. So it really mm -hmm. doesn't matter. So and and one of the things, you know, this movie is is so much about what you can get away with as a beautiful white rich male. Right. And into the fact that I love that Patrick Bateman doesn't hide anything. He is taking his bloody sheets to the cleaners. He doesn't try to hide taking any of the bodies anywhere. And runs and into a girl he knows at the cleaners. And he's like, oh, can you actually tell them? Because he's like, I'm annoyed. They don't know how to like get my sheets clean. And like, as a girl's trying to clean them and like advocate for him. And she's like, he's like, she's like, what is it? He's like, oh, it's cranberry juice. Sure. You're like, mm, uh -huh. homie, uh -huh. that ain't juice. <laughs> people juice <laughs> it is people juice there is a little detail that we noticed that we really liked is that patrick bateman seems to love le miserable he's got a poster of it in his house and then he talks about going to see it and i'm like that's a little a little quirk i like about him sometimes you know we all love a little revolution sometimes um he loves music theater he is a dork and i love that <laughs> <laughs> I'm a music theater dork too. Oh God. Um, it's just, it's just, it's wonderfully fantastic. And it does make you kind of, I don't know. Um, I know that Guinevere and Mary um, are both lesbians too, I believe uh, who wrote and directed this and um, Guinevere Turner actually worked on the first couple of seasons of the L word. And I know I've seen her in Cheryl Dunier's, um watermelon woman. And like, I'm a big fan of her since back in the day of, um, as lesbian cinema uh, aficionado. And um, I think it's just interesting that, those are kind of things that he's into and uh, impeccable about also kind of question his sexuality as well too. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, definitely. Uh, so we have the business card show off in the, the court, the room and Terry, we were excited. I was very excited to talk to you about this because uh, Terry worked in a, in a paper store, Sulip for a very, very, very high end paper store. And she could explain why, the cards what what order the, the cards card was went beautiful why it was great yeah. well it's letterpress printing baby which is a premium style printing um it's basically the style of printing that's been around since like the gutenberg press you know and so it's like the metal plates have to be made and formulated exactly for your you know your card and then they do a certain kind of run the ink the paper the bite all of it so looking at the depth that you're going to get of the indentation into the paper the texture you're going to feel you can tell when a card is expensive when you feel it and you feel that bite you feel what's what how it feels and patrick bateman he's got a sexy ass gorgeous wonderful card and mm -hmm. some of these other guys the paper is nice but not as nice as his card he's got a classic perfect business card yeah. And he knows it, but he's so angry that everybody else won't acknowledge it, even though he is this clearly the best one. So it becomes this kind of rage inside of him about this business card. Uh, so he begins to spiral. This is, we see him, his first killing is a homeless man 
coup, he uh, stabs to death with a piece of metal uh, and then stomps his dog to death. So we talk about a lot how there's no easier way to get an audience to hate your character than have them attack an animal, which of course, uh, you know, Patrick Bateman's a terrible person. We're going to see it, but they're going to start off with this. So just, well, that- you know, yeah. So, level you, so, you, so you don't root for him also. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, it's like, I think that's also the thing, right? It's just like, okay, this is the kind of person you're dealing with. Um, yes, we should be angry that he killed a homeless person, but also an unha- unhoused person, rather. And yes, it's bad that he's killing a dog right after. It is just a wham, bam, oh no, mm-hmm. this is going to be bad. So he uh, says that he feels nothing except greed and disgust which I think are, are interesting emotions to separate. So we have a Christmas party. We have him with ridiculous reindeer ears on, which is just so amazing. Like he's so not into it. Uh, we meet uh, Snowball, the Vietnamese potbelly pig that uh, Reese Witherspoon's character brings. And they're just so rich and disconnected. It is hilarious and beautiful and just vapid and just what I imagine of this New York socialite kind of party to be. And they have this thing. She you, Clearly, she doesn't care about the pig. But I was just like, oh, my God, remember when that was a thing? Those are like a fad um, for those for you young kids out there. Listen to the show at the turn of the century. The potbelly pig was a very it had big a deal. Moment. Yes, it had a I, moment in the culture, right? Like it was like, yeah. I think like, didn't like Paris Hilton have one or something? I feel like one of those girls like had one, like the Sweet Life Girls or whatever. Anyway, it was like- There was a there was a girl in my uh, cl- in my drama class who had one and some for some reason one day brought it to school and his name was Hamlet, which was fantastic. And there was a substitute teacher that day and the t- substitute teacher was le- leaning over to pet it and it bit around the nose and we died laughing we thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen i'm sorry that is funny though like what a day for that poor teacher though like you're going into sub and that's what you end up doing oh god getting bit in the nose of the oh, fire pig absolutely terrible <laughs> so and he but- also keeps getting uh recognized or mistaken for marcus halbersham people keep thinking that he is this other person and again they're all interchangeable and again he never hides anything he tells people straight out i'm utterly insane i'm killing people i'm this murderer and no one blinks no one cares everyone thinks well, it's because a joke it sounds like it's listening. a joke it's like hyperbole and also just sounds like oh, i'm murdering it on the wall street because like everything he says could be like kind of construed to like wall street language like oh i'm killing the the competition you know it's like those words that we use so flippantly i think which i'm kind of i don't know i feel like ever more present to as the years go on and we have like kind of like american murder culture you know like of just like that of like oh you're killing it man at work you're murdering that thing you just you slam that girl or whatever like there's all these ways that we talk about you know life i guess if, if i if someone said to me did you know i'm utterly insane i don't know if i would think that was a joke coming out like he's so anyway uh the way he says so- it though he's got that whacked ass smile i'm insane okay and you're like oh that's hilarious i have had warnings by people of like other people being crazy and like you know i didn't i didn't heed it because i thought it was a joke too you never know um huh. that's too much too much information goes there yeah right? like we talked about last week in gerald's game how like she thinks the heart attack is a joke mm-hmm. and it's one of those things like the mind's like just tries to play it off in some way because they can't really it's self-preservation. It. It's like when like people will come and yell like our warning, like we have to do it. And they'd be like, oh, that's a because like your brain takes a second. We've seen that so many times in these like, you know, these horror movies, too. Right. It's like, will we believe when they yell it's the end time? <laughs> so he uh, especially hates Paul Allen, one of his co-workers, and decides he's going to kill him. So he gets him uh, really drunk, takes him back to his house. And uh, there's already a newspaper down. 
uh, but he's like Paul Allen's so out of it, he's not even noticing it. He's putting a raincoat on with an axe. We have a moonwalk with the raincoat and the axe while he's talking about Huey Lewis in the news. It's amazing. And he's comparing their albums and what their best album was in four, you know, is where they really, really came into their own. And um, that plastic coat that he has in that little face, he's so sweet in his little axe. So hot. Mm -hmm. Why is he so hot right there, though? It's really upsetting. But but the insanity on his face while he's killing him with the axe is really uh, spot on. Well done, Christian Bale. Uh, and then again, doesn't try to hide it, takes the body by a uh, taxi and just go- goes right back past to- the door guy. The door guy doesn't yeah. even like, uh, okay. Like another day in New York. Um, and he's in a beautiful building. It's not like he's like in like some like sloppy rundown place. Like he's in like a gorgeous like high rise that's like, you know, obviously very expensive. And no one bats an eye because he's just this rich guy with a, a bag. And even he gets stopped. And they're like, yeah, that's a gorgeous bag. Yes, it's a Gaultier bag. So and 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 again, so this is this is amazing that we have this in L.A. too. Uh, there's the, the, the feeling of Nanya, right? Nanya business. You see something and you just keep going. And it's the same thing living in LA. I've seen some crazy fucking shit. And you're like, just keep walking. Like you just let it go. And it's it's insane. And that's what like this is Patrick's betting on that feeling for this entire film. Exactly. Exactly. So um, you know, there, there there's a disappearance and some stuff happens and uh um, you know, he's he's you know, uh the he next day's back like office. Packed. Like nothing yeah, happened. Packed. Yeah, he packs a bag and like goes to his house and makes sure that it looks like he left. And that's so. Oh, yeah, Paul's he, apartment. Mm-hmm. Paul's apartment. So. And he gets jealous while he's packing. He's like, fuck, you have this? Your place is nicer than mine. And he realizes like Paul's got better stuff, which is why he killed him because mm-hmm. he was jealous of his shit. Mm-hmm. So. So we meet uh, Dr. Detective Kimball that is played by Willem Dafoe. So again, we say he's going off type here. He's being a very kind, like has no idea what this world is like in any way, shape or form, right? Is coming into this, this Wall Street where everybody's all like fancy. And I know that I read that uh, during this performance, the director had asked him to play it three ways. Mm-hmm. One where he thinks Patrick is guilty. One where he's not sure if Patrick is guilty. And one if like he, he doesn't even cross his mind. So like, I don't know which take they use, but it feels it feels like you could get any of those readings from this performance. They're definitely mixing and matching them throughout because sometimes I'm like, I think he knows. Like I've had th- those moments watching him. I was like, I think he knows what's up. I didn't think he was out of his element. I thought he was just like, oh, playing the like, you know, you know how like cops sometimes in those like all these I love detective shows where they're coming in. They're like kind of the hokey detective. I felt like he was doing a little bit of that where he's just like, oh, don't mind me. I'm, you know, unassuming. And so Patrick's like, I can just pull over on this guy. And it's like, no, no, no. I don't think it's you're just going to be able to. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're just going to be able to pull over on this guy. And I think he's adept because if you're in New York, you have to deal with everything. Right. So I feel like he's just like, you know, oh, yeah. Tell me more, Patrick. Tell me more about that. You sure? Why right. do you feel like you do you feel like you should tell me something? You know what I mean? They're like the way he asked him those questions. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we do get a great shot of uh, him doing crunches to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Shout out. We we love that. So we, he picks up a prostitute in a limo and takes her home. She thinks she has scored because he shows up so beautiful in a limo, takes her back to the house. She gets to like be in drinking champagne. In he has her in the bathtub. But he doesn't mention that there'll be another girl that are coming to join. That was not in his description. So this not is not from surprise. the beginning, but he did say it eventually. Yeah. Mm hmm. So he's going to call them Christy and Sabrina. That is the, he doesn't care what their real names are. These are the names he's giving them. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, has sex with them, watching himself the whole time. And this is- And videotapes it. So incredibly 
realistically gross that I know that guys do that. There's guys who will do that. I'm like, that's so repulsive to me. To like, I understand watching might be sexy and like, but just kind of watching both of you seems to be the, but this is not that. This is him. And like the girls are interchangeable, right? He just doesn't even care what their names are. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? Tell me, tell me what Nothing. You I just thought it was hot. I was like, I don't care. He's I get, hot, I get. but he's watching himself? He's so hot. Like, if I was that hot, I would want to watch myself. <laughs> you are that hot, Terry. <laughs> you know, like, I get it. I'm just like, I just I just find it so fascinating because I'm going back. I just was like the conversation he had with um, Kimball right before was like the Harvard versus Yale, you know, conversation he had with him mm-hmm. about like Paul Allen and how he accused Paul Allen. He's like basically like Yale meant that he was closeted gay or something like that. And so I think there's just something that he's just like, can I approximate? Like, you know, everything he's doing is trying to approximate emotion, trying to approximate sure. life. I feel like even in that moment, he's trying to watch himself approximate like connection or sex, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. he because he doesn't even care about that. Like he's sure. trying. So I feel still feel like he's trying to like make himself look like a certain kind of kind of way, even during sex. So I think yeah. that's why he's looking at himself like that. Um, also so hot. Um, he is. Uh, so the girls, uh, surprisingly, he lets the girls sleep over, which I was like, oh, I thought it would have kicked him out immediately. But there's a reason for that because he ain't done with them yet. Uh, we see him pull out a hanger, which just leaves you to think whatever you want about what he's going to do with that hanger. We don't really know. Uh, but he, we do see one of the girls leave uh, face all bloodied. So he's clearly been doing terrible, terrible things to them. But he doesn't kill them. No, That's because he told them that his name was Paul. Wow. Paul wow. Allen. And uh, make sure he clear. says it quite often. And uh, he doesn't want their names, but he gives them his fake name. Um, and he insists, you know, that they don't smoke. Like he has a lot of rules that you that are popping up now to him. Like, oh, he has some rules here, even though he doesn't like certain. There's certain things he just doesn't like. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's not going to go well for these girls. Um, and he also like quotes Ed Gein and stuff too. This guy is not, he's quoting killers throughout the whole movie, like Ted Bundy and like everything too. Like, do you know who he is? And they're like, uh, no. But I feel like uh, we would quote Ed Gein. I feel like that's not out of the realm of possibility, right? And we would probably get a better reaction than he gets. Am I Patrick Bateman? Okay, sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> uh, So he uh, he sees Lewis's business card. And I would like to shout out Matt Ross. We were talking about this uh his face is just so incredibly unlikable and to have a career where that's your jam, but it's, it works so well. Cause you do, you know, it's someone you're like, cause Willem Dafoe often plays that right. Yeah. Where he plays the face where you're like, Oh, I don't like that guy, yeah. which he doesn't in this movie. He, he feels very normal. And you're just not sure why. Yeah. And he is a normal, I've, I've gone to see him like talk at like SAG foundation. He's so nice. And he's so like, oh, I'm such, sure. a, such a theater guy. He's such a, like such a mensch, but he's played such like these like awful people. And I love that for him. And this guy, same thing. Absolutely. Um, Oh my God. And the hair color is just wrong too on the, him, which I just love. Like, it's like everything on him is just a little bit off. Like, cause he yeah. doesn't quite fit in with the other guys. He's not exactly the same template as all the other guys that we've seen so far. They all have this slick back hair versus him having, you know, he has more the the middle part, a little bit like Patrick it's, Bateman a little bit, but his is not good. No, his hair, his hair is terrible. And I, I shout out to the costume uh, people from this movie because man, they had a hard job, right? Because you're talking about, you have to make this movie where the people who are watching this movie, this is Isis Mundensen who made the, it was the costumer for this movie. So if you're in that Wall Street world and actually know those brands and what they look like and all of those things, like you have to cater to those people alongside people like us. I'm like, I don't, I have no, I know nothing about labels. That suit looks nice, but like, could I tell you who did it? No, but 
like a Valentino is, baby. Mm-hmm. Right. But like Lewis is probably the, just buying those brands that are just like just not cool enough. And like we don't know. Or he's buying the right world. brands, but he's buying the wrong season or he's buying the wrong versions. You know what I mean, though? Because that's right. like one of those subtle things, I think, as well, where it's like, yeah, those are all the right things, but the wrong, 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 wrong time. So I think it's kind of something beautiful. Like everything's the colors are always a little wrong, like from his hair down, like it's the whole body. Right. Because um, that hair just does not match his, his face coloring. Um, so he pulls out the card. OK, now this card has got mm-hmm. multiple ink colors on it. It is letter pressed as well, which means it had multiple runs, which means it is more expensive than freaking Patrick Bateman's card. Just so you know. And I would like to like even as a a non card knowing person, even I was like, oh, his card's better. Like even I, it's got like the gold in there, and I was like, oh, he wins, right? And and Patrick, no, he wins. So he goes into the bathroom. He puts gloves on to choke him. But when he's at the urinal, but when Lewis turns around, he gets really excited because he thinks Patrick's come to have sex with him in the bathroom, and he's waiting for it. And he's like, Patrick's so beautiful, and the look on Patrick's face because he. Has this never crossed his mind ever in a million years? And all of a sudden, like, he's never been disarmed in the middle of a murder. And like, he just doesn't know what to do with himself. It's such a, gr- a great reaction. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I want you so bad. And like, he's like, call me like later, like when they walk out of the place and like he is flirting and it is going to be it's all bad for this guy now because you're just like, oh, God, he's like, that's not what I want. Um, and the detective comes back. Kimball comes back and, and questions him again. And um He's like, hey, your homie Paul Allen uh, disappeared and we want to know a little bit more. We still want to know your timeline of what's what's been happening. You know, like, what, where were you trying to get your alibi? Um, he's like, are you into music? You have a conversation about music. We know Patrick is obsessed with music. And he tells the detective, no, I don't like music. I'm not into it. And that Huey Lewis never heard of him. His music's too black for me. And I was like, oh, bitch. You're racist now too? Oh no. Oh no. Well, and that is something that they really, really tone down and actually kind of flip-flop a little bit from his character in the novel, where he is just sexist, racist, horrible, says terrible things. But in this, he chastens he does that in this. Chastens- <laughs> but he also chastens people for it, right? Like he there are people making Jewish jokes that he tells them not to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's He's pretending to have this morality again that he absolutely does not have. Uh, we do get them doing coke in the bath dance club bathroom on the business card holder, which is uh, a very nice touch. Love it. Um, and he tells these girls that he's into murders and executions, and they hear mergers and acquisitions. And no, so they it's- think it's a joke. They don't hear it. They think it's a. Jo- they think that's what he's joking about. Like I think that they heard him say that, and she's like, "Yeah, my he does that too." But yes. So he, he gets to take one of those models home. We don't ever get to see what he does to her, but we do see her head in the freezer in the next scene when he asks Jean over to his apartment for dinner. And this is the one of the ones where up until now, like the people, people is killed, we don't really have any connection with, right? Like Paul Allen, even you're like, eh, he seems terrible. Kill him. But this Jean's so sweet. And you're like, oh, don't, don't do that. Please don't kill her. And he's going through his apartment, looking at all the different choices he has of things that he could use to kill her. Uh, and she's just so sweet talking about her future and what she hopes for herself. While he is literally looking at like, hmm, knife? No. Okay. Hmm. No, this other implement? No. Okay. I could just string out. No. Okay. Ooh, nail gun. Hmm. Nice. Um, gets it right behind her head. She is so close to death. She has no fucking clue. I And I it makes me think about how close to death have I been? Like I must, there's in our lifetimes, there has to have been the moment where we were closest to death that we had no idea. Right. And I was like, I could be anything. And that's kind of a mind blowing subject. You're like, I, Oh yeah. No, 
Um, I know some of them. And then, uh, yay. Okay. Anywho. Um, <laughs> so um, they get interrupted by a phone call from um, Miss Reese with a spoon, <laughs> uh, Patrick's girlfriend, the Cecilia. Evelyn, sorry. Oh, that that's perfect. Mwah, mwah. Reese with a spoon. I love you. Um, she also used to shop at Sulip as well uh, back in the ah. day. I don't know if she still does. And, um, a lot of these people actually, Samantha Mathis, like all these people I like met in, the, in that in that space too, which is so funny to me. Um, uh, but yeah, oh, Reese. So uh, he, my boy he, next he, door. Just I love you. Just leaving my little. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to call you that. <laughs> like everything. It's like just sappy, sappy, sappy. Like the opposite of what he could ever want. And such a cringy thing to listen to on both their parts, right? Like, it's just terrible. And so it totally breaks the spell. And he actually tells her, you need to leave. And it's it seems like, you know, it's like a, a dick move to do that. But actually, he's saving her. And he's like, if you don't leave, I will hurt you. And it makes it seem like he will emotionally hurt her. But he she doesn't know that like, I will fucking kill you if you stay here. So he has mercy on Gene, which I think is something we haven't really seen from him before. Never. Um, and so, um, yeah, so she's like also reminds him, she's like, oh yeah, by the way, tomorrow you have a lunch date with Kimball. And he's like, oh, okay. So, um, mm. <laughs> well, the lunch actually goes really well because Kimball finally says in his schedule that he has, oh, he had lunch with Paul Allen, that Patrick Bateman was there. And so he, he's kind of off the hook from this thing that he thought he was really going to get fingered for. So he but Patrick looks up- horrible during that whole lunch. He's like sweating. He's not really eating. He's like miming eating the food. He oversalts his steak. Like it's just, it's insane. I don't think he eats this entire movie. It's like one of those things where it's just everybody and they're, at, they're at so many restaurants and food places and all these foodie places. Yeah. And all these people want to go into these foodie places and don't actually care about the food at all. And no. Kimball's actually eating during this scene and it makes him seem kind of grotesque in this world to be eating, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange. Uh, so he goes to pick up Christy again, who is not sure about it because she said, last time I had to go to the emergency room. And you go, okay, that's a hard no hard no like no matter how much money he's offering you that's not worth your danger like as a prostitute you have to know you're in danger every time you go off with somebody right and this is you know you're in danger as a female you you have to know not just a prostitute sorry i'm just like i'm thinking my friends who send me a text that are like hey i'm going out with this guy um this is what he looks like this is his phone number this is my i'm sharing my location for tonight we do that now like i feel like i have i have many friends that will send me that text and i'm like okay like i'll text you tomorrow make sure you get home you know what i mean they'll text me when you get home just so I don't have to worry about you. Make sure you're not dead. Um, I feel like Yikes. that's just a constant. So anyway, yeah. But he writes her a check. Um, and she thinks she's going to walk away. But then he's got a wad of cash that she cannot say no to. So uh, his friend Elizabeth, who was played with by the screenwriter Gwyneth Turner, is there, uh, who laughs at him for listening to Whitney Houston, which is amazing. She He asks her, uh, he's like, oh, I want to see you two together. And she's like, why did, Why would you think I'm a lesbian? He's like, you went to Sarah Lawrence. And you're like, ah, okay. That's uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Pre- pretty good. Pretty good. And I was just like, oh, lesbians did write this. This is great. And she <laughs> totally is a lesbian playing not a lesbian, which was wonderful. Um, very cute. Um, because she had all the inside and insider, I felt like insider information. It's like inside baseball moment. Um, and she's just like yapper yapping. She's a rich bitch. She's like, Oh, do you like how do I know you, girl? Like talking trying to talk to Christy. And Christy is not from anywhere, obviously. And her name is definitely not Christy, but she's like, Oh, do you summer in Southampton? Is that where I've seen you? Like, she's like just vapid. 
and um, drinking and like asking for other drugs and just like wants to get fucked up. You can tell these girls party and all the girls so far have kind of been in this like Cecilia, the other girl, Samantha Mathis character that he's been like hooking up his friends. Courtney. Courtney sorry. Yeah. She's like um, on um, Xanax. Yeah, like Valium Haze at all times seems not there at all. Uh, Elizabeth calls a drug dealer that he is drugging their wine and they end up having a threesome in which he uh, bites her between the legs and uh, draws blood. And so Christy runs and and we have the iconic scene of Patrick Basin chasing her with just sneakers and a chainsaw. And that's all. And, and she's blood screaming. down his little body. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. And she's screaming and trying to get people from the apartment building to care. But again, it's none of your business, right? Like nobody's, nobody cares. Nobody's going to come out. Nobody's going to. And Patrick knows that. And he uses that. Yeah. He knows, he knows how to hunt his prey. And so she's running down. And he's down- at Paul mm-hmm. Allen's apartment. FYI. Yes. Yes. Because and she, he made she sure. Finds, mm-hmm. finds some of his trophies while she's on her way out. Yep. Uh, bodies. Those are the trophies, kids, Patrick Bateman's trophies. Um, so she knows that this is she's she's kind of, you know, this is she's got to get out or else she's going to die. So she's running down the stairs. And then this is amazing. He throws the chainsaw. And it's a it's a it's a slam dunk. He gets her right between the middle and kills her. And then we cut to him drawing the same killing on the tablecloth while he's breaking up with Evelyn, saying, you're just not terribly important to me. Oh, OK. And she cries not because she cares but just because you feel like she should have a scene, like this is what she should be doing. It's the optics. Um, it's mm-hmm. more than anything. Cause she's like, I already knew like she, you can tell she's already planned their wedding. She's that girl. Like she's like already got their China pattern, like in mind, like she's like, okay, like I got the husband who's going to be like, this is, this is the guy who's, you know, the wall street husband. I'm going to have this type of lifestyle. This is what she was raised for. It seems like this is what she's accustomed to. She's that girl. Like they also like, as much as the guys kind of fit into these this certain type of like, patriarchal fucked up mold of like what we think these people should have they also have bought into this and so they're at this very nice restaurant so she's got to cause a scene which Mm -hmm. sets him off he's like no 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 things need to look a certain way and you're fucking it up (laughs) yes please don't do that but this is where he's you know we've seen him sanity slipping through this entire film that this is where it really goes off the rails where he's get at the atm uh and the atm tells him to feed him the stray cat that he has found on the ground so he is trying to smush this cat into the atm and has a gun to the back of his head a woman comes up to try to stop him and he shoots her and now he is on the run cops are after him uh and this is this is the one kind of like out of out too much kind of scene right where like he shoots a a bunch of cops and the cars explode but there is the moment where he looks at his gun in a way that's like how how did i do that why did that happen like he it's that moment of like, and you know, it always happens in 80s action movies, but this is like the, why did my gun do that? You know, like he doesn't, and this is also makes us feel like, did he really do this? Is this in his head? Is this not really what's happening? I can't really tell. Yeah. It does feel like a dream sequence for sure. And it's like, he also just said that he wants to go homicidal on a massive scale. So this is what he gets. Like he just, he uttered it and that's what, what kind of just happens all of a sudden. Right. And so he's running and there's a helicopter chase and all this stuff too. So it just feels like very, very extra for sure. Um, and he calls his lawyer during the, in the heat of all of this and confesses all of his murders, um, on the answering machine. I've, I've killed 20 to 40 people. He's like, he's not even sure. Like he's just been in like a blind rage of what his body count is at this point. Um, and he, you know, talks about the tapes that he's made. He's like, I've actually videotaped a lot of the stuff I've done um, and confesses that he ate some brains. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So he, he, that, I mean, he is sobbing here. Like it does seem like it's not, it's just because he thinks he'll get caught. It's not that he feels bad for doing what he's done. It just, he doesn't want his lifestyle to change. Yeah. He's hit the wall and he's like, I can't contain it anymore. Basically. Like I've been able to maintain it and contain it um, or at least cover it up in some sort of way. And people will just kind of let me go. Um, So he goes back to Paul Allen's place, suited up and a KN95 ready to go clean up his, his mess. But he is greeted by an already cleaned up apartment, repainted white, and a realtor showing the place. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so, so very New York. And he's so confused and angry. And just, and the he talks to the real estate agent who clearly knows who he is and what this is and just tells him to leave and like, don't come back. And so it's, it's this whole, I really, really love this near the end of the movie where he keeps trying to be caught. He keeps telling people what he's done and nobody will believe him. And it's this disbelief on his part where it's like, but I'm telling you straight out, why are you not believing me? Even this real estate agent who he knows, knows he's like, she's not going to say anything like she's out of it. Right. Doesn't even want to get in, get step in that. Yeah, she doesn't want to deal with the paperwork, kind of essentially. You know, is what it feels like, right? She's like, you know, you're you're a cute white boy. Just go away. Like you, you're fine. Like as long as you don't say anything, I'm good. You're good. Just don't come back here. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm selling this place now. Um, and so it's it's just like this terrible thing. We were talking about this. I think when we watch this as well too. Um, just kind of that thing where like, remember when like, what's his face? The former president said like, oh, I could just go on Fifth Avenue and just shoot somebody. No one would care. And you're like, fuck. This guy is is that is in that world of like that financial world where like that's like people are just cover shit up and he just keeps going because uh, mm-hmm. we don't want to have to deal with it. Um, but we actually see him really start to uh, lose lose it as far as keeping his sanity together. Mm-hmm. So we see him swallow an entire bottle of pills. He has this phone call to Jean where he's raving and she's never heard him like this and he's. Uh, so she goes into sneak, snoop into his desk and she finds his planner, which has terrible drawings of all of the murders that he's done. It also and has she, the dates of every single one of them as they start. And then they kind of, it kind of degrades into pictures instead of the actual like names and stuff too. Mm-hmm. So she knows what the deal is now. So he uh, goes, he goes to the bar, he finds the lawyer and was like, Hey, did you get my message? And he's like, Oh, it's hilarious. He's like, what? So he thinks he's a guy named Davis and is like, oh, but the par- the problem you made is that you said it was Patrick Bateman, who is such a dork. He would never do anything like that. Like you should have said it was somebody else and maybe I would have believed you, but now I don't. And so Patrick tells him, I am Patrick Bateman. It was not a joke. I seriously did this. Why are you not understanding me? Is it because I had lunch with Paul Allen twice in London? And because they're so interchangeable, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. This guy they doesn't even they doesn't even know they've they've all been like each other at different points throughout the whole movie. All of these guys between Marcus, Paul Allen. Um, it's just incredible. And they just all look miserable. And we got Reagan on TV, you know, just like, um, you know, back to back to the, his agenda of, of what he's going to do. Right. And um, he I said his that. pain now is everyone else's pain. And now, you know, it's the punishment for him is like it's like, oh, I'm going to make everyone feel this. Yeah. And I think, you know, such a beautiful last moment is just zooming in on his eyes. And he says the, this confession has meant nothing. And, and, and it hasn't. And in the fact that he, he hasn't, nothing has changed for him, right? Like he's tried so hard to get caught and he can't get caught. And so this is kind of this punishment that he has, that he has to keep doing this and he can't stop. And also that you want Patrick to kill his friends. Like his friends are so terrible. Like, please kill them. They're awful. And so you do have this 
kind of feeling for him that he's stuck in this world with these terrible people. Yeah. And it's, but he's, he's also part of that ecosystem. It's just, it's really hard, hard to say. So well done. Yeah. And I feel like the whole, everything I've known about Brody Snellis is it's all about this. It's all about meaninglessness that nothing means anything, no relationships, no actions you take mean anything at all. Uh, And I like that kind of existential dread in his, in his work that it's just like, oh, people are terrible. All of it means nothing. We're all going to die. And then nobody cares. I thought it was just interesting to just about like just the patriarchal structure, how it just doesn't help anybody in this movie, you know, coming from these women directing it and writing it and like how they treat it and how these guys are. Um, And the women that are just like literally having to drug themselves up silly just to even interact with these men, you know, like and they just are interchangeable as well. Like they're all having an affairs with each other. Right. Like they're just like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, so-and-so's hooking up with so-and-so. Oh, yeah. And that's my secretary. That's who I also hook up with. It's like. It, it's it's just it doesn't even matter who's who's with who because uh-huh. there is no no true connection with any of them. Um, Yay, Brenda Snellis. I love you. <laughs> All right. Uh Gore Factor? Yeah. Yes. I think you guys probably already know. Uh this is uh, a one, yeah, not enough like a Philadelphia cup. Two, they a are chainsaws. Of, <laughs> they are. We got chainsaws. We literally got chainsaws. Um, enough blood to gross out the average beer. Four bathtub blood, five run for the barf bag. It's clearly a five. This man is going for it. And there's some shit you do not want to see. Or maybe you do because you're all a bunch of sickos. Yes. We love sickos. We love it. So Chainsaws, one, mm-hmm. if you're desperate, two, barely qualifies as a horror film, three, seen worse, seen better, four, not too shabby, five, fantastical, full five for me. I can find almost no flaws in this movie. It is so incredibly perfect. All the performances are spot on. It works so well. And it just gets better with age. I've, I've watched this one a few times and I was like, oh, fuck, this is still even more so scary and crazy. It is a five for me as well. Bump, 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 air horn, full five. Um, holy crap, Christian Bale. Um, I mean, he might be a good actor or something. I don't know, you know. But the the thing is, is, you know, I loved Christian Bale from Empire of the Sun and Swing Kids, same. right? And like Newsies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is the first one where he's like, man, right? Like he's always like cute boy and now he's like, man. But there's a part of me that feels like Christian Bale, get, you know, became Patrick Bateman for this role and never kind of stopped because I feel like he's kind of that. Now. Well, they hire him like now for all of those, yeah, for all those parts. But I, I, yeah. I mean, there's like all the, he does all the wonderful character work, and he does like the body, you know, he changes mm-hmm. his body, all that stuff, which I don't know is, is particularly healthy. No. But I mean, like he seems kind of not there. I feel like there's like a blankness to him after Patrick Bateman that wasn't there before. And I'm I don't growing know up in Hollywood. I guess <laughs> he was the I sweet, open face, sweet baby boy, and then he lived this life in this, you know, in this industry. So who knows? I love you, Christian Bale. If, if, you, if you want to tell us about your, your process and if you're okay, uh, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, he's a, he's, a, he's a fantastic actor and this, this performance really is fucking amazing. So if you would like to talk to us about American Psycho or Christian Bale or whatever, Brady Sinellis, you can talk to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on or Instagram. Or Gwyneth Turner, please. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, any of it. Love we will her. talk any, any factor of this that you would like to talk about. We would love to. Uh, we are so happy that you listened to us and we're sending so much love to you today and every day. Uh, and please let us know if there's a movie that you would like to hear us cover. Yeah, thanks so much. You guys have a wonderful week. See you again real soon. Bye, Disco Citizens. Thank you for listening. 
Horror Movie Survival Guide is independently produced by Terry Gamble, Julia Marchesi, and Sierra Ryan. Hey, that's me. If you would like to support the show, find us on patreon.com slash horrormoviesurvivalguide. <laughs>